Welcome to another episode of the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Cresty. This week, we'll be discussing the second half of the bracket for our Best Blue Coats Ballad Contest. If you missed our discussion on the first half, be sure and check out our previous episode. So let's get right back to Derek, Doug, and Dave as we continue our discussion. All right, so now we're back to talk about the other half of the bracket, which is the Bluffberry Division and the Tuba Division. So let's dig in first with the Bluffberries, and we start that division with a matchup between two iconic tunes, 2008's The Boxer and the 1987 original version of Autumn Leaves. Pretty tough matchup here. What are you guys thinking? The Boxer uh, was based on a King Singer um, acapella arrangement. By 2008, the Bluecoats had developed a, a quite a mature sound, I think, uh, partly due to the fact that there were a lot of returning vets. When the chorale section was being performed on the field, it was really entertaining to be on the field and just follow those players. There were some gorgeous sounds being made, especially, again, with the baritone section, who were, were, I think, primarily all euphonium players. And it was sort of a sight gag in, in terms of the uh, production of the tune. It started out with this very lush chorale that moved the horn line forward at, right up to the front sideline to a rectangular form. I remember being in, uh, I think it was down south, and it was the latter part of the summer, and I went up into the stands and just to kind of get a different perspective, and I'm in the middle of a group of people, and, and there's some elderly people, maybe two or three rows ahead of me, and they obviously hadn't seen the core before. So, you know, they were listening to the ballot, and again, it was moving towards side two, uh, the setup, and they're just kind of, you could tell that they're just really intrigued by what's going on. And when we get to the shell course, Think of this as a brass player that's move, you're moving a lot through a drum corps show. You get to a spot where you're right up front and you don't have to take a step. You can just stand there and play your heart out with all the passion you can muster. Well, the horn line was really, really loud. So when it kicked into the shout chorus, the people in front of me, their heads snapped back like they were shocked. <laughs> it was pretty, pretty funny to watch. But it was just, and I, I, a couple of times during the summer, I saw a similar reaction, but it just, it was really well staged because, like I say, it was sort of like a, a, a sight gag that you didn't know what was coming until it hit you. That kind of became the moment, too. Like, people, it became a buzz, that particular uh, a cappella moment, which was actually Rick Rick Subel's idea in the wintertime. He thought it'd be really cool. Can't we just stand the horn line? They're so good. And just have them play that loud part. I was like, yeah, we can do that. But by the end of the summer, people knew it was coming. So, and you can see it on the videos. You can see like people start to like bristle before it happens. And I swear to God, finals week, I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday, and I was standing, you know, kind of standing in amongst the crowd or sitting, and there was an old lady in front of me, white hair, and she literally went, bring it! <laughs> <laughs> right before that. I can't believe it. It's, it's hilarious. And, of course, you know, once the kids know they have a moment like that, they just dig in and it becomes even better, you know? So that was a fun one for sure. What about 1987, the original version of Autumn Leaves? The ballad portion, um, very similar to what we play today. Again, that was uh, Doherty's arrangement. Really pretty, you know, um, very straightforward. Uh, probably more jazz color than most people were used to hearing from 
uh, drum corps arrangements, unless it was one of Kirshner's arrangements, of course. And, you know, people will tell you that's the tune that got him into the finals, you know, uh, not the ballad portion necessarily, but just the whole package. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, definitely uh, become the core tune, very important, even to the kids in the drum corps today. And obviously uh, a really great arrangement by Doherty. Uh, well, my uh, my daughter's middle name is Autumn, and it is uh, named after Autumn Leaves. Wow! There you go. It's yeah, it's 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 for. I mean, my wife and I we met in Bluecoats, so and it's a really pretty girl's name. So it almost made the first name, quite honestly. So wow. Um, Claire, Claire's middle name is Boxer. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. As far as between uh, Boxer and Autumn Leaves, if one of these wins, we don't have to learn a new tune. That's that's what I keep saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> Save yeah. time in spring training. <laughs> that and uh, Bob, Bob and I in 08 were in a different place, uh, both at the Vanguard and I believe Blue Coats beat us. They pulled ahead the finals Vanguard night because. On, on finals night only, the Blue Coats went up one. One uh, place, and uh, I, I am not. I don't know about you, Bob. I'm not bitter at all. To be quite honest, and I'm, I'm not. not and I'm not uh, being sarcastic in the slightest. That was a tough we had a we had a night. sweet 15 minute long warm up that night for finals night. That was that was awesome. But that's yeah. a story for another day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so next in the Blueberry Division, we have 2016's Great Gig in the Sky versus 1989's My Funny Valentine. Poor My Funny Valentine probably doesn't have a shot, really, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say about 89, uh, that was my first year marching drum corps. I marched a really small corps called Expressions out of Hammond, Louisiana. And, you know, my, my first open class drum corps experience was like a 30 row metal bleacher high school stadium watching the Santa Clara Vanguard on like July 10th play Phantom of the Opera. And I was like, huh? Like, I just couldn't believe it. I was <laughs> just uh, dumbstruck. But I, I do remember the blue coats. I want to say it was sing, sing, sing. And they had this add on soprano feature where it started out with a, with a, uh, a soloist. And then it went to a duet. And when they added on, they, they crossed their legs and put their elbow on the person's shoulder next to them. And little 13 year old me thought that was the coolest thing ever. But I, I'm, I, I don't, re I have to admit, I don't remember the ballad. What I remember about um, them that year was just the idea that they were playing jazz standards. And I thought that's, I, I tried to do that in at the Canadian nights for one year. And uh, that's what I kind of wanted to do because that's what I was studying. And uh I really liked that. I don't know who did the charts that year. I don't know if it was Jay Dawson or um, or maybe Kirshner. I, I mean, it, it seemed to change every year back then. It was Bill Hamilton as a caption head, though, right? He was one teaching. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then 2016. Well, there's a great backstory to Great Gig that a lot of people probably aren't aware of, and that's I think Great Gig was ballad number four for 2016. Because we had started with this uh, a vocal arrangement of Sia's Chandelier um, that was kind of hot on YouTube and one of the college um, choral groups. And we read that 
I think. We read that pretty early in the in the winter. And there was something missing there. I mean, I think we thought it was going to be him of Axiom, and it wasn't. Um, and then uh, I think Dean had pitched a Bjork tune. So here we're back in Iceland again, man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, called, called a cosmology, which actually we knew as soon as we knew, as soon as I saw the prop that Jim was pitching, I knew we were going to try to use trombones at least once in the show to create some kind of sliding effect. It seemed like a no brainer to me. So this cosmology at the beginning has like some, these like these long glisses that are kind of, kind of captivating the tune itself. Not, not so much. And I was writing it and combining it with this Sia piece and literally <laughs> sent a, email or a text to either John or Dean and went, why am I doing this? <laughs> like, it was just like, this ain't going to work kind of thing. I don't know if we ever read cosmology, like Derek or Dave might be able to answer that, but I had written part of it. And so anyway, we're, things aren't working out with the ballad. And John had composed a piece that year for Avon, for Dean's uh, orchestra at Avon that he was kind of fond of. And, Wondered if that might be the ballad for the show that year. And Vince did an arrangement of it. And that kind of got a thumbs down. It, the, the core never saw it. Uh, I don't think John uh, thought it represented his tune the way he wanted it represented. And then I asked John, do you want me to do a version of it? And he said, yeah, I'd love that. So I did a version. We read that version at April camp. And, uh, and there was some neat stuff in it like some great low trombone stuff and a flugel solo that that was when I, I don't know what you guys knew, but Ben Gunderson's reading this flugel solo. And I was like, man, this kid's got some serious flugel chops. Like he sounds great. So the problem was, I don't think anybody was happy with the tune, including John. And it was a weird Sunday because the whole drum corps walked around not making eye contact for like the last 15 minutes because nobody wanted to say, uh, I don't think we should play that. You know, I remember the brass staff like going by me really quickly. <laughs> um, so anyway, we have like an emergency uh, a meeting at uh, the bingo hall, which we had never done before. And, uh, and it was actually John that said, I don't think the tune works. And um, what do you guys think about doing Great Gig? So Great Gig had been kind of a discussion in December, but on a really long email thread. And I, I think Vince, who had been part of the uh, Blast version of Great Gig, said, hey, you guys ever thought maybe Great Gig? And I think he was thinking about, of course, the slide guitar stuff at the beginning, you know, would, would certainly resonate with the prop and everything. And nobody really responded because it was one of the, you know, you just, you were, it wasn't the main intent of the email. So it kind of got thrown to the side. So that was frightening because, you know, here we are, we've already done our April camp. The trombones haven't even arrived yet. <laughs> and suddenly we're talking about, okay, we're, we're like, we're going to need another tune for a couple of weeks from now when the kids move in. And uh, I think it's one of the best decisions we ever made as a design team. I mean, it, it to me, I would just, I, I don't know why, but I just had so much fun writing it. The trombone stuff at the beginning was a great way to present the trombones. That's how we did it. That was the first time you heard the trombone sound. And it wasn't just, hey, look, we have trombones. It was like, hey, look, this is really great material for a trombone section. It's perfect. All that beautiful slide guitar stuff at the beginning of the original. 
And then Ben, of course, just played the bejesus out of that flugel solo. The weird thing about the tune is there's no melody. It's all improvising by the female vocalist on that live record or on the uh, dark side of the moon recording. There's no real melody, you know, so I had to kind of pull for all the soloists parts of her material that I thought, you know, were like, you know, particularly pleasing. Um, and uh, the flugel stuff ended up sounding like that's the way the tune should go. Um, that was a really great kind of series of events that led to, I thought, one of our most exciting tunes ever. It was a lot of fun to play. I'll tell you that I've never said this in my life. I was walking down the hill. I think I told Derek this before. I was walking with uh, Eric Prince. And it was the first day the kids got the trombones. So we're hearing all these like cow sounds coming from the woods and everything. And uh, 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 they started working on, they started working on the initial material, the, uh, all the slide guitar stuff. We're walking down the hill and I said to Eric Prince, we're going to win. It's the only time I've ever said that. And I was kind of joking because, you know, that, that doesn't happen to us. <laughs> but it worked out well. Another nice byproduct I have to mention of the trombone thing was that was kind of my uh, excuse to invite Bob Higgins back to the brass team, you know, assuming that Dave and uh, Derek would want him to be part of it. Because I knew he was going to end up somewhere, and I know he's a great teacher, and I just thought, like, wouldn't we rather have him pissing out of our tent instead of pissing into it? <laughs> <laughs> and and I knew he was a trombone player, you know, and I really, I had, I felt a little insecure about getting the parts right and really understanding the instrument. So that was his uh, re-entry back to the Bluecoats, and talk about timing, eh? <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, I spoke way too much about that. Piece. You can cut out all the dirty words, and now you have about twenty seconds there. <laughs> I um, remember speaking briefly to Dan Farrell from the Phantom Regiment uh, after uh, one of the, the contests, and he said to me, "I'd never thought I'd ever hear Pink Floyd in drum corps, but you made it work." And that uh, you know, the combination of, of that tune, how it was set up on the stage. And the fact that the kids weren't wearing, brass players weren't wearing any headgear whatsoever, really allowed the audience to to be connected to the theatrical part of their performance. Technically, I think, you know, when, when they're opened up uh, during that moment uh, near the end of the production, the biggest challenge was making sure that the mellophones, who have the only inkling of what might be a melody, could be heard. So yeah. it was like uh, mellophones... Uh, take no prisoners. You need to play as loud as you can to be cut through the rest of the hordes because they weren't going to back off. That's for sure. Yeah. I also think with that ballad, we introduced a, another way to do a ballad in drum corps. Yeah. And there's been some other groups that kind of have a, a real rock and rolly, heavily improvised on top yeah. ballad. It's similar to like, you know, I, I think that. Garfield Cadets in the mid '80s changed the ballad for drum corps. I mean, no one was doing really thinly written, very exposed orchestral sounding ballads until then, and then after that, everybody was doing them. Right yeah. up until 2000, you know, for 30 years up until 2016, we had this kind of rock and roll rock out, 
and then other people are doing it now. So it was just cool. I mean, I'm not, I'm not mad at those other people. I think, you know, uh, there, there needs to be as much um, variety in the activity as possible. And I, I think that blue coats were on the cutting edge as far as introducing that as a way to do a ballot. Before we get into the tuba division, let's just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hammond Design is the exclusive mouthpiece manufacturer for the Bluecoats. Carl Hammond is recognized by players all over the world for his commitment to excellence through superior craftsmanship and professionalism. That's why Bluecoats trust Hammond and why we feel you should get the experience of sound in HD. Visit carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, HammondDesign.com. This podcast is funded in part by the sustaining members of The Shield. The Shield is a monthly giving society dedicated to protecting the future of Bluecoats. Donors give monthly and support Bluecoats programs, and as a thank you, they receive insider access to content and special events. To become a sustaining member, visit bluecoats.com slash the shield. All right, so finally we're into the tuba division, and our first matchup here starts with 2015 Woods against 2010 Metropolis. What are you guys thinking here on this matchup? I'm rooting for 2015. <laughs> Me too. Uh, it's funny because 2010 was a similar situation as Great Gig. We had read a piece that I had wanted to do forever, an Ennio Morricone piece from The Untouchables, the uh, the, the death tune when uh, Sean Connery's dying. It was a beautiful, beautiful string stuff and uh, a flute melody. And we read it. And it was the same situation. There was no eye contact and <laughs> it was kind of dreary sounding and it, it just didn't translate the way I hoped it would. Um, there's a place for it somewhere. Maybe it should have been in the criminal show. But uh, So we we had found another uh, tune. Tom had found a Randy, not Randy Newman, a Thomas Newman piece. Actually, it's the one that Cavaliers played last year. But back then, uh, I was really sold on it. We couldn't get the rights for it. and. Uh, we found that out and it was, it was like late at night and Tom and I were on the phone and he said, why don't you just, just write something? I was like, you bastard, you know, I'm going to bed. <laughs> now I won't be able to sleep because I'll be thinking about this. Should I do it? Should I not? And then I just got up the next day and just wrote it. And so that was actually uh, kind of a, like it was an original kind of based on a fragment from John Mackey's um, Asphalt Cocktail, the very beginning of it, boo, 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 bee, that fragment. That we kind of started with the Mackie fragment and kind of expanded on it. So, and it turned out okay. You know, it, it paid for lunch for a week or two. <laughs> I think um, uh, Scott Dupree had the solo on that. Is that correct? Yeah, well, yes, that's right. And I wanted I wanted it to be on French horn. It was intended to be a French horn solo. Of course, we weren't allowed to do that. And I was young and stupid and said, let's just do it anyway. Let's take the penalty. Like, no. <laughs> as, as you mentioned earlier, Doug, uh, we were in the infancy in terms of amplification, use of microphones and that sort of yeah. thing and tailoring sounds. And I remember the first time that uh, Scott went off with the front ensemble to just play with it. 
and I was walking by and the mix was awful and <laughs> and again Scott was just trying to get his ears relative to what the front ensemble was playing. It was kind of a scary moment because like, really? But you know, I, I took the opportunity uh today to listen to the recording of him play that and if this what you might call a, a characteristic mellophone sound, that's it. He does a great job with it. Yeah, he, he was good all summer long on that. Yeah. And back then, we were balanced by going, Scott, back up two feet. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's going up against 2015. Or, or, or Derek, do you want to talk about 2010 first? No, I was going to go in the uh, 15 a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm, I, the challenge with that piece, it was uh, the same melody, I think, three times. Uh, and just another kind of very gradual crescendo. Uh, it was also staged these big arcs where you had um, people on the front sideline on the 30-yard line having a balance with someone on the second half on the 50. Um, so, so that was tough. And, you know, just to kind of keep the um, the energy playing the same Melody. I, I, don't, I forget what form of music you call that. It's a special word. I think Dean would know uh, where you have that. Uh, and um, that was one. I know you mentioned 14 as a wonderful finals performance. I remember 15, that ballad, because we had a couple hairy moments with just subtle shaping it at the hit, and it was a cappella brass. We brought it down for two counts and back up. And yeah, and a, a yeah. space there, and then an attack. There, there were some moments where it was typically lead trumpets that would step on it. You know, I was like, Ugh. Yeah. "Well, you just were really spread out, really spread out." They were spread out, and it was a long blow. And and then we had the um, another one of those where people, why don't we just release with the chord really big? And it was like, no, you know, it was mm-hmm. another where we sustained, you know, four Fs for like twelve counts, and then did a twenty-four count day crescendo to the tubas. Uh, which is hard. Which, which is way hard. And the front ensemble had to come up over the top of that. Yeah, that was a special performance. Uh, and yeah. Kevin Quack, we figured out his facing on finals night, where to where to <laughs> point his trumpet for that uh, Bonnie Vare kind of yeah. his, his falsetto stuff off in the distance. Well, that's the thing. It's a, it's a Bonnie Vare tune, or as they say in the South, uh, Bon Iver. Yeah, that's, I think uh, I said it like that for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's a certain intimacy and also a looseness yeah. to all his, all that stuff that makes it really human and really honest. And that's hard to do on a drum corps field. I mean, everything's so quantized, especially with that being so spread out, quantized. And you guys had built in all those little stretches and, you know, breaths they kind of humanized the tune and, and, and that, it was a tough one to write because of the, you know, the three repeated melodies and how do you present it in different ways. And, um, but yeah, I was, that, that turned out to be really beautiful and it was presented in a really unique way as well. Well, I think that's the first time we ever done a harmonizer too. Then we harmonized Prashant, his uh, solo, right? Yes, we did have yeah. some effect on him. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I did too. Uh, very good player. Nice yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah. Any other stories on 15? I, I signed one of those forms, so I can't tell mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So lastly, in the tuba division, we wrap things up with 
2011's Creep against 2004's One Day I'll Fly Away. What are we thinking on this last matchup? How many million uh, YouTube views does Creep have now? I mean, oh my gosh. sorry, 04 probably doesn't have a chance, but you know, this is like the yeah. number one seed versus the 16 seed, I guess, right? That's right. This is Duke. Yeah. Duke versus, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to take some heat for that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One day, I, one day I'll fly away is from Moulin Rouge, of course. And uh, I had seen the movie that winter. And frankly, I thought, boy, wouldn't that be a great drum course show for the Phantom Regiment and JD because of the, the, uh, the passion in that movie and the over the top and like big and loud and, ex- you know, extravagant and, uh, and very romantic, you know, and they were kind of in their romantic phase. And I thought that that would just be an awesome show anyway. Um, but I really loved the ballad and, uh, um, it came off really nice. It's got a kind of a, a really soaring melody and everything It's kind of memorable. And, um, uh, I thought, yeah, it was kind of pretty. It was the right choice for the drum corps that year kind of thing. So, Dave, any stories from back then? Uh, not really. You know, I was just thinking just the challenges. And I, I suppose uh, the older people uh, like myself might not necessarily agree, but comparing the timbre of beagles that we used back then to what we're using now, it's, it's a dramatic a difference. Yeah, I forgot so, they were still on G, right? Right. And, uh, you know, at the best of times, trying to produce a warm sound uh, that's necessary on a tune like that is, it's on, it was an ongoing concern. You know, I, I'm not sure whether, I think if the core played on that or played that same arrangement on the instruments you're using now, you just take on a much more lush. Uh, presentation but it was it was very challenging i remember that for sure I, we actually fell apart twice finals week do you remember that dave yes i do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah not so good not so good <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and then that's going up against 2011's creep like you'd said has lots and lots of views and i know both the the brass performance or the full ensemble performance as well as the one of the videos out there of, of bob higgins at a warm-up with the the brass line singing it so what are, what, yeah. what are some stories you got on the, how all that came about well uh we'd seen this video that i think was intended to be used as a promo for the facebook movie the zuckerberg movie i can't recall what it was called but the social network and it was uh thanks <laughs> Mm. And I, the video itself was interesting because it changed the connotation of the tune and the lyrics and turned it into uh, about being alienated from your peer group or even bullying. Um, and there, it was a female in the movie that you could tell had been, you know, bullied, not physically, but emotionally kind of thing. So it kind of fit in with the theme of the show of uh, finding your place in the world for brave new world. And, uh, it was actually Tom, like we had listened to it and went, man, that's such a great arrangement. It's very close to the, uh, are you familiar with uh, La Scala, the female choir from Europe? Has a bunch of tunes like that. Very, very similar to their version, which our version was kind of based on, or at least the piano stuff. And um, 
we were at a camp and we decided we we're going to play the tune and I'd already input just a, sometimes with a tune like that, I'll just start with a lead sheet just as a way to learn the changes and learn the tune. And it's a great set of changes, by the way, especially that second chord, it moves up to the three, seven chord, which just wants to take you somewhere. It's got so much pull, you know, and then the four chord wants to go somewhere. The four minor chord wants to go somewhere. So it just perpetuates itself, that chord progression. I love that about it. Um, but we were reading a different tune at the camp and I was staying at Bill Hamilton's at the time and just waiting for a ride and open my laptop up and just kind of cut down the lead sheet. Uh, this is the only time this ever happened to me. And I just like laid in the chart and, um, and we read it that night and we, we were supposed to be reading something else. We had another tune ready, but I thought, well, I got some time here. This isn't like me at all, by the way. <laughs> to, to do work unless I unless I have to, but you know I had it going. It was in my head. I'd been thinking about it for a while. So, uh, and I had been listening a lot to. Are you familiar with? Um, Joni Mitchell did an album that Vince Mendoza did all the orchestrations for, called Both Sides Now, and it's a it's an album primarily of standards, but she does two of her own tunes. Both Sides Now is one of them, and A Case of You, and Vince Mendoza's arrangements on. Both sides now it might be my favorite string arrangement of all time. Um, just fantastic, like the way he uses suspension and stuff. There's so much duplicity in the lyrics that he never lets the harmony settle, you know. And so until the very end. And uh, I was kind of affected by that and trying to use colors in the same way um, in that chart. But I didn't expect it. I mean, I go to band shows, I judge band shows, and I hear that tune and go, wait a second. I don't remember giving them that. It's <laughs> like everywhere. I'm kind of sick of it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the tune came about. But it, again, the kids played it really well. And great mellophone moments. And yeah. I think most people now call that show the creep show. I don't think anyone calls it Brave New World anymore. Yeah, I know. I've often said that we should have played creep four times and then just gotten the buses and gone home. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, 2011 kids are always like, Doug. <laughs> I think that was probably one of the first years that the brass section did a fair bit of choreography. Well, at least yeah. in that tune. It was all in that tune. They were up front in the wedge. And we had a lot of female mellophone players in the line. And the whole mellophones did a great job that year. Very mature sound. Yep. And uh, I remember listening to a friend of mine who was judging visual performance. And uh, he was standing just off the side watching it and listening to the mellophones. And he said, I can't believe it's amazing how well they're dancing. And they're mellophones. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations for the mellophones that pulled that off. And again, I'm sure that the, the, uh, the the female quantity in that sound or in that section that you really helped during yeah. the being that. Yeah. That was a good section. Yeah. That was a popular tune for sure. Crowd pleaser. Yeah. And I, it, what I find interesting about it is the decision to play it first, you know, start the show with a ballad that doesn't happen that often. And it was a full minute 45, you know, it wasn't just an intro. It wasn't Maria. So that was, I thought that was kind of cool and different. So now that we've gone through the entire bracket, uh, let's just kind of check in with each one of you about which, uh, I guess, two two questions to this. Which do you wish would win and which do you think will win? We'll start with you, Derek. What do you think? Which one do I wish will win? 
first. Yeah. I haven't thought about that one, really. I've been thinking about which one I think will win. Um, I think we've already done him a vaccine recently, so I, I'm not sure. If so I you're thinking that. about this from an educational standpoint, uh, just just you're just, as no, a drum corps fan. Are, but I've already, no, I'm thinking about it selfishly. Do I want to work on something I've already done? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have people for that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. I've it's taken me a while to learn. All right, encore ten. <laughs> Let's go, Rick. Get up there. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna take a break. <laughs> um, on the woods would be cool. Uh, you know, honestly, I would wish that I'm gonna say either 13 or 17 because I think neither one of them get enough love, and I think that um, it'd be good to hear them again. That's Grow Till Tall or the, or the River. Which one do I think is going to win? Um, it could be Great Gig. could be Him of Axiom. Um, Creep. We, we've done that once or twice, so that won't be hard to learn again. Um, maybe Blackbird. <laughs> uh, don't know. I, I'm going to guess, if I had to make a call, I'm going to say Him of Axiom will win. All right. What about you, Dave? I think uh, for me, like I obviously I like creep. I like the, the just the the melodic strengths of that tune. Uh, great gig is really emotional. I mean that might be my second pick. Might even be my first. But I got feeling is that him Axiom will probably win. Yeah. And Doug, what are your thoughts? Uh, I agree with both Derek and Dave. I think. Him of Axiom will probably win. Um, my favorite, I mean, like a lot of them represent really specific, special time, like with that particular core or, you know, just those moments. So it's hard for me to pick a favorite. And sometimes, you know, even with the strong ones, you know, I'll see it online and like someone will post it and, I, and there's a separation now where you have to remind yourself. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I had something to do with that. You know, you forget because it becomes this thing on a screen now that, you know, you're not involved with anymore. But um, him of Axiom, that particular performance, I think the finals performance was just sublime. And I will never forget the crowd for Great Gig in 2016. That's I mean, I literally had a tough time getting I, I was up. I always stand in, I'm kind of superstitious. I stand in the same spot on the, at the, the, the top of the first section on the wall, usually try to stand beside Jim. And, uh, I couldn't get out of there. <laughs> the crowd just started pulling on our clothes and stuff like that, like being nice, but you know, congratulations. I love it. It was, I'll never forget that moment. I felt like a beetle for about 20 seconds. <laughs> and if you want to see something really funny, watch the video, the uh, multicam, great gig and Shane plays his high note and we're all familiar with the wink of course on finals night. And then they cut back to the crowd, watch Jim Moore in the crowd. He's on the wall up by me. Once you see him, you're going to spot Jim because of the ginger, right? (laughs) (laughs) He is so funny. You got to see it. Just go look for it and find it. I've showed my kids and we just laugh our butts off, but I think it's between those two personally. Um, in terms of maybe my favorite performances 
of the tunes. There's a special spot for uh, Woods for the same reason uh, of him of Axiom, and that was um, just how Derek embraced the uh, musicality of it in terms of presenting it the way it was intended to be presented and not sounding like a drum corps. The breathing and the uh, both Dave and Derek, like the temporal shifts, you know, which are really most people just don't do because they're so hard. And you don't always get the credit you deserve, but uh, those two have a special place in my heart for how, like the buy-in, you know, and the the way it was uh, approached by the staff and the kids. So, so let's go with Autumn Leaves '87. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends who's voting, right? Yeah. Like I'm gonna have to call my mom. Like each each night, we. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, you got to vote right now. All right. Well, round one of voting for the Bluthberry and Tuba divisions are now up. Voting for this round will close at 10 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, June 7th, and voting is available at the link in the episode description on our Brass Podcast webpage, or you can go directly to bluco.at slash ballad1b, and that same link will be available on all of those other platforms as well. So thank you all for chatting with us today about some pretty amazing ballads and Bluecoats history, and that will wrap it up for another episode of the Bluecoats Brass Podcast. Please check back every other Monday for a new episode. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. Please tell your friends about our podcast and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have any topics you'd like to suggest or questions for us to answer in future episodes, please email us at brasspodcast at bluecoats.com. You can catch us on Instagram at bluecoats or at bluebrass, spelled B-L-O-O brass. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the handle bluecoats. To learn more about the Bluecoats organization and all of its offerings, visit us on the web at bluecoats.com. Our podcast is made possible in part from the support of Hammond Design, the official mouthpiece designer and manufacturer of the Bluecoats Drum and Bugle Corps. As a performance partner of the Bluecoats, we trust HD with our sound, and we think you should too. Learn more at carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, HammondDesign.com.